Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Mentally Unscripted, the podcast dedicated to trying to find the signal in a sea of noise. I'm here with Scott. Co-host, this is Paul, and uh, today we are going to be talking about the vaccine for COVID. Very timely here. And, uh, you know, this topic came up this week because a good friend of mine who has really struggled with COVID throughout um, its inception, uh, he, he has close ties to, to, to China where he has family members. Um, he's just been very, very close to the disease. He's been very depressed for, I mean, I, I want to say going back all the way to January. And this week he saw bright light uh, with the announcement that the COVID vaccine showed a lot of potential. And so he became very excited. So he sent this, this news to me. And it, it, it struck me as kind of interesting because after all that depression and the, and the, the fear, now he, he saw this ray of hope. So um, I started looking into the vaccine and, and I started having a series of questions. I thought, you know, Scott, let's, let's talk about it today. Off the cuff, we don't, we don't really have anything prepared. And that's kind of the, the purpose of this podcast is just sort of how do we think through this? So kind of, you know, what are, your, what are your thoughts just initially as I put that out there? Well, thanks, Paul. Um, you know, first off, the lawyer in me, I, I just have to say that we're not telling people to get the vac- vaccine or don't get the vaccine. Um, like you mentioned, we are just kind of um, just kind of going off the cuff and exploring um, some of the issues surrounding it, um, ways to think about it. Um, if you're out there trying to decide what to do, um, just giving you some um, some ways to help you make a informed decision on whether you want to get the vaccine or not. Um, one thing I just wanted to lead off with is personally, my belief is everyone's going to end up getting this vaccine or most people will um, not necessarily because they want to not necessarily because the government's going to um, overtly mandate it. But I think they're going to sort of, there's going to be sort of a backdoor mandate um, I can see the government implementing rules um, that will require the vaccine in order to fly, in order to get into government buildings, and then I can see the market picking up on that. Um, I saw a story earlier this week where Ticketmaster was considering requiring proof of vaccination before they would let you into a concert venue, that sort of thing. Um, so I just think there's going to be a lot of pressure on people to get the vaccine. But still, right? We want to we want to let you help you understand what it is that you're getting into, um, understand the risks, understand um, why it might be good to get the vaccine, why it might not be good. Um, and the next thing I wanted to bring up is uh, I can understand the elation, um, the sense of relief that comes with um, the, the announcement about the vaccines. I think what uh, Moderna. They announced the vaccine was 90% effective, I think. Yes. And one of the big advantages, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the Moderna vaccine also has the advantage of being easily storable, um, which I think some of the other vaccines that have been announced, that was one of the issues. Like you had to store them in like a really cold environment or something. Um, so with this Moderna vaccine, it'll be um, easily storable, easily distributable. Um, so that's even more cause for hope. Um, and I don't want to dampen anyone's enthusiasm, anyone's relief about this. Um, because the fact is, is no matter whether you agree with masks and lockdowns and whether you agree that um, COVID is as dangerous as the politicians and the media are leading us to believe, we, we've got to get back to a normal life. We've got to get the economy reopened and 
personally, I'm at the point where <laughs> if Biden gets sworn in and announces a six-week lockdown, even though I don't agree with the lockdowns, I don't like it, I will gladly do it. If they can promise me on the other end, they're going to let us get back to our lives. Um, that's that's just kind of how frustrated and just um, uh, just just kind of over the whole thing um, yeah. that I am. And I, I don't mean over it. And it's like, I don't believe it. I'm just kind of, I feel like we're at the point where we just have to do something. Um, and, and, and as a libertarian, it really pains me to say that I'm really hoping the government will, or it pains me to say that I'm going to support some government regulation, you know, some executive power, or some president, you know, writing an executive order telling everyone to stay home. But I'm just at the point now where like, let's just, do it and get it over with. Um, yep. But at the same time, you know, I'm, I have to admit, I'm, I'm skeptical about the entire COVID situation, um, vaccine included. Um, you know, one thing that we always have to remember is that incentives matter. And what's the most, what incentive matters more than anything? It's money. Um, yeah. So, even going back to when we had the first bailout um, and we saw that, I think it was like, I may not have the numbers right, but I think the bailout amounted to nine, what, like $900 per citizen or no, no, mm-hmm. I got that wrong. It was like $1,900 per citizen or something like that. But, and yet very little of that money went to the actual people. Most of the money went to the banks. It went to a company like Boeing, which, you know, no one has still really convinced me why Boeing needed a bailout um, and, and things like that. Um, you know, so one of my first thoughts is that this was this was a money grab. This was a um, an opportunity for politicians to get money to their cronies, which in return will come back to the politicians in form in the form of uh, campaign donations. Um also, I'm sure if we were to look at the stock portfolios of Congress, I'm sure companies like Boeing and the airlines and the hotels and the banks were very well represented in those portfolios. Um, so I'm sure the politicians <laughs> made some money off of this. Yeah. Um, you know, the bottom line is, like I mentioned, right, I'm going to say this a lot during this podcast and in future episodes, right, incentives matter. And so you always yeah. have to look at why people are doing what they're doing. Um, and the vaccine's no different. I mean, how much money do these companies stand to make from the vaccine? Okay. Um, I didn't have a chance to really look into uh, the financials surrounding the flu vaccines that everyone gets every year, but I'm sure it's, it's quite lucrative. Um, Mm -hmm. the other thing you have to consider too, is there are, uh, you know, companies like Moderna, right? They need funding. Right. So the more that they can hype up the panic, um, hype up the fear, hype up the need for a vaccine, the more likely they're going to get money from the government and from private sources um, to do their research and develop their products. Um, And the same thing goes with, you know, uh, virus researchers at universities. There's only so much grant money to go around. Um, Mm -hmm. So by hyping up the danger, right, they put themselves at the forefront of the conversation and the public will start uh, clamoring for the government to start giving more money to these researchers. Uh, so, I mean, Paul, what do you, what do you kind of think about the incentives like that? 
Well, I, I think uh, well, there, there's so much to unpack there. That's that's I think so so relevant to how we are all feeling today. Uh, I, I'm a firm believer. You have the uh, and sort of the the ninety ten where you know most 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 of your decisioning is, is really this emotional reaction, and then if you're if you're if you're good, you've got ten percent, which is really logic, and we we just kind of back into our feelings with these logical arguments. Uh, and so I, I often wonder how much I'm feeling just angry, and that's making an argument <laughs> for it against. Is you know look at the politicians and what they're doing, and they're trying to do a lockdown and they're trying to pay people to stay home, which are, you know, they, they go against the principles that I hold to be, to be true. But there's a, there's a few uh, elements, I guess, that, that kind of strike me when I think about the, the less about the virus. And I was thinking more specifically about the vaccine. Um, I, I think every, I agree with everything you're saying about the incentive structures that have to be evaluated um, and, and I'll give an example. Uh, my, my wife works in insurance and in a reinsurance company. And she did some really interesting uh, background history years ago. And uh, for, for some, some work she was doing at her company, and she found out that for a period of time in England, you could take out insurance p- policies on people that you didn't know. Oh, that's uh, interesting. This is, yeah. So the insurance, the insurance industry was kind of building up and they, and so what, what would happen is people would end up taking out insurance policies and then hiring a hit on somebody and killing them. So they had to make this illegal. Um, or they were going to have a very different <laughs> right, ruling yeah. class, right? Right, yeah. And so you, you have uh, incentive structures that are, that are not at all aligned. And, and you know, that, that's an interesting uh, token of sort of the, uh, the history of insurance and trying to understand um, – of how it started to evolve, but you sort of bring that forward to today's environment and you think about the incentive structures. And I think with, with medicine, what has always been interesting to me is that people will, there will never be enough money for people to pay to save their lives at some point. Uh, you know, I, I always think about this in, in sort of broader structures where if you told me that my six-year-old um, had a, a disease, and I, I don't have children, I'm my, my fictitious son um, had, a, had a disease, and uh, it would cost $10 million to cure, would you find a parent that would say, well, I, I don't think that $10 million is worth it? And I don't think you would find any parent who would tell you that that $10 million is, is worth it, right? Um, so with our health, with our life, and of course, I mean, we are, we are creatures made to survive. We're always going to want to spend more on our health and our safety. Um, so that, that's, that's, that's sort of the, the, but, you know, as we're organizing all of our, our, all of our resources together, we have to be asking, well, is, is that even reasonable? I mean, if, if you're not paying the $10 million and everyone else has to pay the $10 million, is that really, you know, a fair kind of bargain? Uh, but 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 bringing it back to COVID, so we have to be looking at the incentives. We have to understand what these companies um, are are going to make from from having this vaccine, and asking that question: Are they are they going to perpetuate a problem so they can uh, continually make money off of it and it becomes part of their business model? So that's 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 a concern. Um, but specific to this, to the what the announcements that we heard, and I think it was uh, Moderna and Pfizer. The, the vaccine that they are working on is not what most of us think of as vaccines because they are working off novel technology. 
So, um, and again, you know, you, Scott, you explain, hey, listen, these are just two guys talking here. We're not, we're not professionals. We're not pathologists. We're not, um, uh, we're not experts in being able to um, map out um, or, or do data science around a disease. We're just two people trying to understand what we're seeing. And so uh, when I hear that it's a novel vaccine uh, that, that works with RNA versus, um, versus traditional vaccines, which actually inject either a dormant or dead virus into your body, uh, we introduce the idea of new risks. So, you know, I think of the model that comes to mind is you've got brand new software that someone has developed. And they say, listen, you know, it's going to solve the problems for your code. You put this code into your, your computer and it's going to solve a problem, but it's never been tested before. We've, we've, we've never put it on any, any computers before, but it's, it's going to solve a problem. Now, those of us that have PC machines, uh, maybe some of those who have Mac machines know that sometimes you get, you get bugs in the new software, right? You have uh, bugs in the software. You can also have additional exploits that you're not, you're not uh, aware of on day one because you, know, you haven't necessarily tested all that. So that, that, that starts to come to mind that you know, if, if when we're being told we have a novel technology for a vaccine, um, we, we should be aware that you know, we should be asking the question, well, what kind of bugs, what kind of um, um, offsets or, or what kind of considerations do we need to make that, that could be bringing when, it, when, it's, when it's actually introduced? Uh, the next one that comes to mind is sort of are they, what, what processes are they following to test it, right? And, and I, I want to get your thoughts on this. So um, read an article in, in National Geographic, I believe it was from May, and I, I know I shared it with you, Scott, and it talked about the fact that uh, the, the fast track program that the uh, White House put together uh, was, was obviously pushing these producers to come up with a solution sooner rather than later. And they are willing to bypass the traditional FDA process. So typically, I think there's three to four stages. Um, those stages are, are rather lengthy. So that's why you'll hear people say, well, it takes two, three, four years to actually develop a vaccine that's safe. And that's because they, uh, they move it from testing it in laboratory, developing it and testing it on animals, and then having a small population testing it there. And what they're trying to do is see are there adverse effects that they weren't prepared for. Here, in, in the, the, the preliminary trials, they, don't have, they, they, they haven't gone through all of those protocols. And so you have a novel uh, technology that is going to be fast-tracked and introduced uh, and there's, there's, there's already a lot of information I'm hearing about, well, it's safe because of the way RNA works. Um, and it's going to be localized and it's going to have a different efficacy rate, meaning it's not going to last as long as a traditional vaccine. But I, I'm not hearing and not reading that, um, of, of the downside or the risk that people are taking. So, you know, those are the, those are the thoughts that kind of come to mind. And I, I know, Scott, what, what do you think about that specific to the vaccine? Yeah, I- a couple of things that I thought about while you were talking is um, economists, or at least Austrian economists, they like to talk about the seen versus the unseen. Um, so when, for example, the government implements um, a new economic policy, like um, increases the minimum wage, right? The politicians who are in favor of it and the, the unions and whatever special interest groups that were in favor of it, they'll point to the scene, like, these people were making $13 an hour. They're now making $15 an hour. This is great. What they don't, what they don't point out is the unseen, 
right? The fact that when the minimum wage goes up, generally employment goes down. Um, lower skilled workers find it harder to find jobs because employers don't want to pay someone $15 an hour to sweep floors, right? So, um, you know, these groups who traditionally have difficulty getting into the labor force and gaining skills are now, there's an incentive for the employers to keep them out. Um, and I can see the same thing here, right? The scene is, hey, we've got this great vaccine. Um, you know, look at us. Um, you know, um, Donald Trump could claim victory with his uh, operation. Was it warp speed? I think is what he was yeah, calling so. it. Um, you know, look at what I did. Um, just a quick aside. I mean, I think it would have been awesome if um, President Trump had had just paid a little bit of an homage to Spaceballs and called it Operation Ludicrous Speed or something. <laughs> <laughs> right? He could have gone on a press conference and said, "We've got, we've gone plaid," you know, something like that. But oh, um, that would have been great. That would have yeah. been great. <laughs> um, but yeah, just a quick aside. Back back to the core point here is yeah. um, they're not going to talk about the. Um, the adverse effects that could come from rushing this this uh, this novel technology through the testing process. Um, and it, Paul, I don't know. I sent you an article, a, a history.com article about the yes, 1976 did. swine flu. Um, for you folks who aren't familiar with that, in 1976, there was a swine flu breakout at a military base in the U.S. Um, and there was a lot of fear generated around it. So President Ford got behind this fast track vaccine. Um, I think if I remember right, the article said they developed this vaccine in six months. Um, they ended up giving it to like 45 million Americans and they, there were some adverse effects from it. So eventually states stopped. They just discontinued the program, stopped giving the vaccine. Um, so, you know, so what, what is the risk, right? What, what is the risk of these adverse effects? And if we start to see the adverse effects, how much are we going to hear about it? Um, again, and, and I hate to say this, but this is going to be politically driven, right? If this vaccine yep. comes out under Trump and there's adverse effects, I think we're going to hear a lot about it and Trump's going to get blamed for it. If the vaccine comes out in April, May, when Biden is president, I'm assuming he's going to be president, you know, we may you know, the left-leaning media may not talk much about the adverse effects. Mm -hmm. um, right. So we've got that. Um, and again, kind of going back to incentives too. Again, this, this is a novel technology. It, I, I don't want to attribute malice to anyone here, but is Moderna looking at this as a, as a public trial or public test of their technology? Um, when I was in IT, you know, we always had this saying is like, you don't want to test in production. Um, right. So, you know, we're trying to develop software. Managers are pushing us to get it rolled out, but we didn't want to put it into the production environment until it was thoroughly tested. Um, and I think of the same thing here, right? Um, you, you know, what is the risk of pushing this novel, this novel therapy, this novel technology out into the public? You know, I want to, I want to chime in on that because, the 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 best example of incentives that can over, uh, the ability to override uh, a narrative or a conversation came out this week when I was seeing a response from Elon Musk to uh, I believe it was an immunologist who was talking about the the new vaccines about how this technology 
could be the future of vaccines. Now, if you follow Elon Musk, you know he has been very much against COVID, very much talking about how he, he didn't think it was a big deal. Uh, I think recently he tested positive and was, was mocking the test because two of the tests, he took four tests, two of them didn't <laughs> right, show yeah. that he was negative, two were positive. <laughs> but I think most of us would walk away saying, well, you know, he has a very, he doesn't even appear to think that this is real, right? I mean, I'm hearing stories that maybe his, at his operations for, for his companies, he's basically telling people to come in and work. Well, he, he comes out and says, yeah, no, this is the future of vaccines. And then someone asked the question, well, aren't, isn't Tesla developing some of the technology that's used to help develop these specific vaccines? And, and sure enough, it is. Oh, that's so, interesting. So, and, 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 and I say this after reading a tweet. I mean, he's the one who said this. He's, he said, oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, because of the, um, you have to do, and again, I'm not a scientist. I'm not, I'm not an engineer. It has to do with how you have to spray the lipids. Um, they have developed some of the, the, I guess, the spray technology. And so Tesla, your car company, is, is now linked up to these pharmaceutical companies. And all of a sudden, Elon's saying, yeah, this is the future of medicine when he's telling us also at the same time, well, this isn't a big deal, almost implying, well, you don't even need a vaccine. So incentives matter. People do change based on incentives. And if you don't understand what the incentives are, again, you're talking about the seen versus the unseen. The, the politician incentive is to be able to look at numbers and say, well, the numbers are going down or look at the number of people that have been uh, inoculated. Um, with the vaccine, the number of doses, um, they're, they're not incented to bring up the challenges that you see uh, with the people that have the offset effects or to have to talk about the fact they had to make a tough decision at a time, right? So you, you are not a conspiracy theorist. And this is something I, that, that came up as, we, as we're talking here. One of my frustrations about the politicalization of the topic, and, and this is just one of them, the vaccine, COVID, is that you're not allowed to ask questions without being aligned to one side or the other, right? Um, and, you know, if you ask questions at the beginning about why people aren't wearing masks, you were, you were going to be positioned on one side. Now, if you're asking a question about why people are wearing masks, you're, you're, you could be, flip, be flipped, right? Because I, I remember when, when COVID started, I was reading things uh, through different sources I had, which was primarily through Twitter. And... They were talking about how bad this was. I started wearing an a, uh, N95 mask that I have uh, when I go to the grocery store. Everyone thought I was crazy. You could see they were all looking at me like I had horns growing out of my head. Uh, you know, a week later, 50% of people were wearing masks. And then a week after that, 100% of the people were wearing masks. No, no one was asking why I was wearing a mask. Now, if you weren't wearing a mask, everyone was looking at you saying, you know, what are you doing, right? Why, why, why aren't you um, contributing to everyone's public safety? Meanwhile, we, we do have conflicting information that came in from the WHO and from the CDC. So uh, without trying to, to bring all that back, now we're on to the, the, the vaccine. We, 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 you are allowed to ask questions without it being political. You're allowed to ask, what are the risks of this vaccine? You're also allowed to push back on experts who, who tell you, listen, I'm an expert. It's safe. Go for it. It's a novel technology. You know, it, the best coders who work at, at the, the, the most advanced companies, when they, do, when they are developing technologies, they cannot tell you 
what will happen down the road. They don't know. It's, it's okay that they don't know, but they should be honest about it. So, I, you know, I guess that's a question for you, Scott. I mean, as we're talking through this, what do you kind of foresee as being the, this next set of conversation about the, about the vaccine? Where do you think it's going to go from here? Yeah, I, that's a good question. Um, I, you know, I think one thing, I think a lot of it just really depends on what the results are going to end up being. Um, you know, if this thing does make it out into the public and does start getting distributed, um, you know, is is there going to be adverse effects um, and how much of that's going to get reported? Um, and one thing that worries me is, I mean, we saw with the Hunter Biden laptop deal, um, the, the tech companies here in the U.S., right, they have great power to uh, to suppress information that they they don't like. Um, so like, so if we do start hearing about adverse effects from the, from the virus, like how much is that going to get into the public domain? How successful are, um, the, the politicians, and the vaccine companies and their lobbyists going to be at, um, convincing the public that anyone that talks about adverse effects or conspiracy theorists, you know, how that, that label, that, that, that sort of label that they just use to discredit everyone these days, um, mm-hmm. conspiracy theorist. Um, so it, it, I mean, it's really tough to say, um, you, you know, on the flip side, if, if they get the vaccine rolls out, rolled out and it proves to be a huge success, you know, maybe we've just saved thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives by having a technology that under normal circumstances we wouldn't have had for 10 years but we now have it so that, Mm -hmm. you know, the next pandemic that comes along. And (laughs) I think given, given the monetary and political success, let's say of this pandemic, I I don't doubt that every three or four years, we're probably going to have another viral scare coming along. Um, Mm -hmm. I I think, I think the politicians and the, and the, the researchers and the uh, pharmaceutical companies, I think they're not going to be shy of going back to that well a few times. Um, yeah, but but my point is is like if something real does come along, and I'm not saying COVID isn't real, but I mean something that really will overwhelm the healthcare system. You know, will we be happy that we have that technology mm-hmm. that maybe we didn't we didn't test it under ideal circumstances, but we got it rolled out fast. We did realize that it was effective, um, and so now we're benefiting from it. You know, that's a yeah. possibility, right? That's something to consider. Yeah. Um, so I know this really isn't answering your question. I just, I'm not sure how to really answer it um, because it's just, you know, it, it, there's so much information here. There's so many possibilities that could come out of this. Um, and again, you know, we, we've mentioned it a couple of times, the politicization, 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 however you say it, of, yeah. uh, of this whole thing. Right. I mean, that that's going to play a huge role. Um, yeah, it's you know who who's on what side is essentially what it's going to come down to. Um, so it's yeah, it's just really hard to say, and you can almost I could kind of feel myself just kind of losing a grip on reality just now, just kind of trying to think about it and mm-hmm. twist through it all in my head. Um, yeah, what do you think about that, Paul? Well, I, I think some of the points you raised are, are uh, if you're skeptical, if you're listening to this and you're skeptical of the vaccine or skeptical of any vaccines, I would challenge you 
to learn about other technologies that, that were maybe brought in this way. Um, so this won't be the first time that a technique. So my understanding, again, with what I've read is that mRNA types of treatment that they're using for, for this vaccine is a technology they've been working on for a very long time with very little minimal success. They, they were able to use it, um, in smaller animals with, with minimal success. And here, um, they've been able to make, um, what appears to be some kind of leaps and bounds. Uh, part of it is some of the technology that's now available, like Tesla was able to help with. Um, and then now you have, uh, a, a pandemic or, or crisis in which you're able to, uh, have the political will to make some decisions that, as you, as you pointed out, you weren't there in the past. And, you know, I always think back to Rahm Emanuel, who was chief of staff for, uh, under Obama, who said, you know, you never waste a good crisis. Never, or rather, I think it was never let a good crisis go to waste. Um, agree or disagree with that. There's political will that appears in the moment of a crisis that isn't outside. You know, you think about wartime thinking versus peacetime thinking. You're going to, you're going to have a different hat and what you're willing, the, the, your, your, your tolerances are going to look different. So, um, if you're, and I, I come back to the point I was making, if you're skeptical of this, of this vaccine, uh, because you think it's a, um, uh, it's, it's, it's a, it's a power grab, it's a money grab, maybe do some time looking at other types of technologies that came out of these types of environments that maybe we just take for granted today. And I would also, I would also reverse that. You know, as you're starting to see the events play out and you're seeing, um, assuming again, Biden uh, becomes the, uh, the president. Um, and I, I'm, I'm going to imagine, <clears throat> given, given the, what I've heard to date, that he's going to be much more receptive to putting together a, a sort of a mass vaccination plan, similar to the one you've talked about in 1976. Uh, and, and that's, and as part of that strategy, they're, they are going to be much more open to, uh, pushing this out more quickly. Um, I would, I would challenge you and those people, just like I would challenge my friend, be asking these questions. What kind of risks are we taking with a novel vaccine? Um, you know, what, what, what are people, what do they actually need to know? It's not to dampen your elation. I know all of us are frustrated uh, with COVID at this point. Uh, we would all like to see it go away. And so um, if you're excited about this, and Scott, you mentioned this, if you're excited about the, the idea of a vaccine and, and it's, it's providing that sort of uh, that hope, I, I don't want to kill the hope. But in, in everything that's told to us, because of the information systems, um, both the private ones and as well as, as the public ones, we have so much noise in the system. You, you have to do your own research and you have to ask your own questions. This is why you, you and I come back to this idea of mental models and asking these questions. It's not because we're experts. It's not because we, we always land on the right question. I mean, neither and I, you and I both don't know what the, um, what the future holds, right? Uh, and, and we're not even modeling it out that way. We're just trying to look at sort of the, the questions that we should be asking ourselves to reach a, a better decision. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I do think that there's an immense amount of pressure in the system to push out a vaccine, which is going to make people, um, I, I, I hate to say it, cut corners or, or at least make decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make um, in, a, in more of a peacetime environment. And, um, you're going to see, if you do see adverse effects, which I'm, I'm, I'm hoping or praying that we don't see them, that that's, let's be very clear. I don't want to see adverse effects from this. I would love to see, and this is exactly what I told my friend. I would love to see 
this be the dawn of a new type of treatment that is actually healthy, um, that is a highly effective, that gives us the opportunity to deal with different types of diseases um, in, in a novel way, uh, that could be that new frontier. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe, maybe what we find out through all this process is that the FDA existing process is not effective for today's treatments. Maybe spending three years to test it in this way isn't, isn't the most effective. Maybe we have new and novel approaches that give us the same level of comfort of safety without the same time requirement. I, I think you and I could probably both agree that would be a good thing. Um, but we're not there yet. And I can't agree that that's where we are based on, based on the information I have today. So, um, you know, we, we just passed the 30 minute mark. Um, so we're probably at a good time to kind of wrap up this initial episode. I guess, Scott, you and I, we talked a little bit offline about where, you know, what would a follow up episode, um, to this conversation, what would that look like in your mind? What, what do you think we would want to explore? I can't, Scott, I can't hear you. Sorry about that. Okay. That's all right. (laughs) Um, I think. I would like to see more information. I would like to um, try to get a sense of, you know, what, what is the probability of an adverse reaction to what magnitude would those reactions take? Um, are they reversible? Right. If you, you know, if you take the, the vaccine uh, and it makes you sick, you know, will you be sick for a month and then get over it? Or would it be something permanent? Um, that sort of thing, or you know, is there some treatment that would make the the adverse reactions irreversible? Um, you know, I would also like to, you know, one thing that is a core principle for me, probably the core principle, is personal response, personal responsibility and accountability. So, what recourse would people who take the vaccine and have an adverse reaction have? Um, would they be able to file a lawsuit? Um, would the government indemnify these insurance or indemnify the uh, pharmaceutical companies? Um, you know, those are those are all questions that I would like to know the answer to. And I think knowing the answers would kind of uh, inform any future discussion that we have on this. Um, you know, I would, for my own personal uh, personal knowledge, I would like to kind of study and understand what these RNA vaccines are. A little better um, mm-hmm. and what have been the roadblocks um, you know Moderna is yeah. what it's like a 10 year old company and they've been researching this for the for the whole 10 years I think they've been um, in business you know so w- what what have been the roadblocks right what, yeah. what have we been trying to overcome here um, and again you know what, what's the magnitude of any downside risk um, mm-hmm. so um, you know I, so I think a very long-winded way is saying, you know, I would like to, you know, hold off on passing any judgment on these vaccines until I get more information, till we start to hear more about what the trials are yielding. Um, based on the article that you sent me, it sounds like Moderna, like they're still, you know, testing it, right? This isn't something that's going to roll out tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still more information to come in. Um, and you know, the, the idea of Bayesian updating, right. Where you take in new information and you use that to update your already existing information, um, you know, kind of go through that process is let's just keep gathering information. Let's update what we know. And that may, 
that may mean that today you're gung-ho, 100% ready to take the vaccine. Tomorrow you're totally dead set against it. And the day after you're right back on board, you know? Yeah. Um, it's it's one, like... Uh, I, I'm imagining you're, you're really excited to jump in the water. You get up on the high dive, you're, you're jumping up, and all of a sudden you look down and you realize there's no water. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the excitement just kind of falls out of you. Right, yeah. Um, you know, and, and look at all this through the lens of the biases, right? Like we said at the beginning, incentives matter, right? So what what is the incentive behind people pushing you to take the vaccine, right? What is, what is all of that? Um, you know, how political is it? How how financial is the incentive right um you know not to be cynical but you know how much do you really trust that the politicians have your best interest at heart and not their own personal financial gain or their own political gain you know that sort of thing right just keep all that in mind right always always ask what the incentives are um and and try to try to figure out what the blind spots are too you know what you know this idea of authority, right? This is huge right now, right? You have to listen to the experts, you know, science is real, all of that stuff. But, you know, is this person talking to you really the best person to talk to you? Um, Mm -hmm. I know one of the big criticisms of Fauci has been like, yeah, he knows, you know, he's, he's an authority on the viruses and things like that, but he's not an authority on public health. And I think he's even admitted um, when he was being questioned by Rand Paul, I think he, he even admitted like, you know, he does not, he wasn't considering the broader societal implications of lockdowns, mm. right? He's right. just looking at solely from one perspective, right? So even if the person you're listening to is an authority, stop and ask yourself, you know, is that authority credible? What exactly are they authority on and what are they not considering? Because um, yep. even the smartest people in the world make mistakes, you know, even the smartest yeah. people in the world, you know, there was a time when everyone thought the earth was flat and the earth was the center of the universe, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and, you know, these weren't dumb people. They were just going off the information that they had, you know, yeah. so, uh, so try to figure out the blind spots, figure out your own blind spots, right? Um, yeah. You know, if you, if you're a younger, healthier person who is not in that high risk category for COVID, um, you know, you may have a very different perspective than if you're um, if you're an older uh, person with who's in the high risk category, or you have loved ones who are in the high risk category. Right, that may mm-hmm. influence how you look at it. Um, so, you know, always try Absolutely. to kind of put yourself in other people's shoes. Um, yeah, there's a, a an investigative journalist named Cheryl Atkinson um, who is um, who I read her book and. Uh, she she wrote a book on kind of the Obama administration's um, lack of transparency and his attacks on the media. Um, but one thing she brought up in the book, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but we can put it in the show notes, um, is that I think she called it the substitution game. So it, the whole idea is that if, if you're a Obama supporter and you're criticizing something that Trump does, just switch the names out, right? take Trump out and put Obama's name in there. Right. And see if you still feel the same way. So, you know, you, and you can do that on a personal level, right? You can say, you know, if you're a 20 something who wants to just get back to your normal life, stop and say, well, what if I was a 70 year old who is potentially going to be impacted by this? How would that change my outlook? 
yeah, and try, just try to understand um, the different perspectives. Yeah, uh, I, I think that's a that's a great tool uh, that everyone should have in their in their toolbox to to uh, just force yourself to put, to think about others in, in, a, in a different way and, and to think about uh, what you may be missing. Um, just, to, just to riff a little bit on that, you, you talked about expertise. Um, the, the concept of circle of competence, um, the things that you think you know versus the things that you actually do know. And that's, that's re, let's remember uh, humans are fallible and we have, we have evidence of this throughout all of human history of, of people thinking they knew more than they did. So that, that, that extends into modern day and will extend for a very, very long time uh, because humans are, that's, that's our human nature. Um, so let's, let's kind of keep that in mind. But uh, yeah, I, I think yeah. those are all good topics uh, to, to cover on a, on a follow-up podcast. Right. And, and keep this in mind, Dunning-Kruger bias. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that's, for you folks who don't know, that's just kind of the idea that that people who are less competent in certain areas are more confident in their knowledge of that area. People who are more competent in an area are less confident of their knowledge in that area. Um, with the idea being that the, the more competent you are, the more you know that you don't know. Um, and I think that um, Dunning-Kruger plays a, a, a huge role in a lot of these decisions. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, I, I take that idea, and what, what, what really comes to mind is, um, you know, you're, you're looking at a map and you only see one one hundredth of it, and you, you have to plan a, a route, and you're thinking, oh, this is super easy. I can just do a straight line. And then all of a sudden, if you saw the entire map and realized it's got gators and tarantulas, it's got <laughs> mountains, it's got valleys, all of a sudden you, you think, well, wait a second. Oh, well, I didn't know I had to do all this. I can't, I can't map out a, a path anymore, right? No, right. You, as you get more knowledge, you, you become more aware, right? right? So, all right, well, well, thanks. Thanks, Scott. This was a, a great conversation. And uh, I think we, we want to open it up to our audience here. What are your thoughts? What do you think about the, the COVID vaccine? How are you thinking about uh, whether or not it's, it's, it's safe? Uh, what kind of questions do you have? Let us know uh, below in the notes. Uh, ask those questions and uh, there'll be something we can uh, talk about on the next podcast. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be with you soon.